0: If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Good morning, Awaken. It is awesome to have you join us this morning online. Uh, We are thrilled to have you uh, be with us and connect with us this way. Uh, We are meeting uh, in person, uh, at our uh, physical facility on Juno Street, and uh, we are meeting outside if the weather is super nice. Uh, that makes it really easy to maintain social distancing. Uh, we are coming inside uh, if the uh, you know if there's rain, if the weather is bad in any way, and so uh, we're still trying to maintain. Uh, social distancing even inside Uh, but we would welcome uh, you guys to uh, just uh, return to the services and and come on back in as you are comfortable uh, this next week and throughout the summer uh, we are also going to be having a Wednesday evening service uh, called a weekend warrior service uh, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday uh, for right now, we're not offering child care. Uh, we will transition into that uh, for all of our services here very soon, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, we would encourage you just to uh, make uh, one of the Sunday services or that Wednesday evening service uh, part of your new uh, weekly routine for the summer. and we'd love to see you there. So we're starting a new series on prayer. And uh, the the goal for this series is that number one, you and I, uh, individually, Uh, would become uh, people of prayer if we've never entered into uh, being a person of prayer. And for people who do already make it a regular habit to pray, uh, that they would uh, understand uh, some really important aspects of prayer, and their prayer life would take on a a whole new uh, direction, a whole new experience as they uh, move into some of these things that the scriptures are challenging us to. Uh, So today we're going to look at... Specifically, at the prayers of David, or excuse me, of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, and the prayer of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter one, and so uh, we'll be looking at those two prayers as a, a model uh, for uh, for prayer. But let's begin with this: Isn't it completely audacious to think for a moment that God, our Creator, the Creator of the universe? the one who is all-powerful, the one who is omnipotent, that he would listen to our prayers. Not that he would just hear them, but that he would listen to them. That he would listen to them and respond to them. Isn't it completely audacious for us as human beings, as created beings, to think that we might be able to get somehow the attention of the creator and that that creator would lovingly act on our behalf? Isn't that absolutely audacious to even think about that conceptually, that that would be a possibility. It's an extraordinary thing to to even think about this as a possibility. But Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 4 and verse 16 tells us to come into the throne room of God boldly. Listen to these words. It says, uh, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, it's referring to Jesus, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this audacious idea, this incredible idea of us Asking God to do something on our behalf and to have God respond to us is actually something that we are called to do in the scriptures over and over and over. It is something that we are called to do as we follow Christ. It is something that we are called to do boldly, to walk into God's throne room as though we belong there. As though we can expect an answer. So... uh, we are called into this audacious thing called prayer. And we are called to expect that God will answer our prayers. But let's be honest. The reason that most of us don't pray, if not all of us don't pray on a regular basis is because our prayers don't get answered. Let's just be totally honest, and I'm gonna be very honest and transparent with you as well. I'm gonna say that most of the time, it does not seem like my prayers are being answered. And as a result, I become very discouraged about praying. Uh, it's a, about as much fun sometimes as being given a plastic spoon and, and, and being told to, to uh, break up a, a sidewalk of concrete. Uh, because I know, or I, I think I know, or I become convinced, I convince myself that, maybe I should say it this way, I am convinced sometimes by uh, an outside source, sometimes by the enemy, and sometimes I convince myself that my prayers are not going to be heard, and if they're not going to be heard, they're certainly not going to be answered. And there's a number of reasons that I give myself or a number of lies that I listen to and believe that convince me that my prayers are not gonna be answered. And if your prayers aren't gonna be answered, Why would you pray? Who likes the discipline of prayer if they don't ever see the final end result? And so one of the things that's important for us to think about and to consider and to have quickly at our minds as Christians is the pathway to answered prayer. What are the elements that need to be present in our lives? What are the elements that need to be present in our prayers in order to have our prayers answered? So if we're going to do this audacious thing of walking into the the courtroom of the king and asking uh, for things uh, we need to you know have a plan going in, Uh, this idea of uh, walking into the courtroom of the king uh, is audacious as we've talked about. Think about Esther. Uh, if you don't know the story of Esther, uh, there's a whole book about it in the Bible. Uh, but uh, think about Esther walking into the courtroom of Xerxes uh, without an invitation. Uh, she was placing her life on the line uh, because uh, you know, there was a standing rule about just walking into the throne room of the king. But Esther decides to put her life in the line to trust completely in the grace of the king and walk into that throne room. Uh, She did it out of absolute desperation because that was her last move. That was the only thing left available uh, for her to uh, have an audience with the king and express what was going on uh, with our lives. And that actually has a lot to do with the first part of... Uh, these, these two prayers, these two model prayers for us in Daniel and in Nehemiah is this moment of desperation and despair. That's the, that's the first uh, step on the path to seeing God answer your prayers is entering into despair or realizing the despair that you are in. So uh, let's start with uh, the prayer of Daniel. Generally speaking, uh, just to give a little context to this prayer, uh, the nation of Israel has been uh, captured by uh, foreign enemies. Uh, the Babylonians, in this case, have uh, captured Jerusalem and they have, they have taken a group of Jewish people and they have brought them to Babylon to serve in the Babylonian kingdom in a variety of ways. Uh, Daniel has, uh, by God's providence, worked himself uh, up to a, a place of particular prominence, um, Daniel is uh, you know enjoying life perhaps in Babylon in this uh, high position of power, but he has not allowed himself to uh, just soak in that comfort instead he is instead he is soaking in something else he is soaking in God's truth and he is soaking in the plight of his people and so. Uh, that's the, uh, the background to this prayer in Daniel chapter 9. So I'm going to start in verse 1. And uh, you're going to see that the first step on this, this path to actually having your prayers answered is despair. It seems like a strange step, but you'll see, uh, you'll see uh, what we mean by that. So it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherius, who became uh, king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. That's a long time. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Um, We see Daniel entering into despair. He He realizes, um, being a a student of the, the word, reading the prophets, he realizes that Israel is gonna have to be in exile for a 70 year period. That's several generations of people who will come through not experiencing Jerusalem and the temple and the nation state of Israel. And so Daniel is in deep despair concerning the nation of Israel. And so he he enters into the remainder of his prayer, but it begins with this place of despair. Uh, Nehemiah uh, has a similar opening to his prayer. Nehemiah is uh, later on in the uh, period of the exile, and Nehemiah is in a period where the temple has has been rebuilt. Uh, The uh, kings of Babylon uh, have allowed... Uh, the nation of Israel to be reestablished to some degree, at least the uh, religious part of it. Uh, so the temple has been rebuilt, uh, but the walls of Jerusalem have not uh, been rebuilt. And so uh, that's where the story of Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah chapter uh, 1 and starting in verse 1, beginning of this story. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So you see again that Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer to the king, he's a very uh, he's reached a place of of uh, very high prominence in the court of the king. He's the cupbearer to the king. Uh, some would argue that he is the most trusted person uh, in terms of uh, personal bodyguard, in terms of. Uh, the administration of King uh, Artaxerxes. And so uh, he's in a very high position. So rather than enjoying the comfort and convenience and the lavish lifestyle, he was certainly allowed to live uh, in that position rather than than uh, ignoring uh, the plight of the people of Israel, rather than uh, ignoring the fact that uh, Jerusalem, the city of God, has, is, is in uh, ruin uh, despite... Uh, or, or, or rather than, than uh, you know, just enjoying his position and prominence, he decides to instead be in despair. And uh, I phrase it that way for a reason, because it is a decision to bring yourself to a place of despair. It is a decision to bring yourself to a place of despair. Now, it's possible that there would be some surrounding events that might help you get to a place of despair. Let's say a loved one dies or, or something uh, significant happens in your life. It, it, it might be a catalyst to take you to a place of despair. But either way, you are making a decision always to enter into a place of despair. In the case of Daniel and Nehemiah, rather than enjoying their position, rather than, than uh just soaking in the, the comfortable lifestyle, the luxurious lifestyle that they were in, they made a decision to enter into despair, to sit in the bad news that they were given, to soak in this very horrible situation. And so uh, believe it or not, that is the first step to answered. Prayer is to enter into despair, to get depressed about something, to to get down about something, to to see that there is an area of injustice, to see uh, that there is a place where something is not right, to see that something is not holy or righteous, to see that something is displeasing God, to see that there is sin, to see that uh, there is not generosity, to see that... um, There is oppression, whatever the case might be, but to see what is going on and to soak in it. I myself, I'm not a person who regularly takes baths because I don't like the idea of of sitting in my own filth and so uh, I prefer a shower. Uh, if you're a bath taker, I don't know if any research has been done, but you might want to check into it. Uh, taking a shower might just be a better way forward. Uh, I'll let you decide that on your own, uh, but if you're a bath taker and not a shower, um, you know, we might not be able to be friends. Uh, I, I vastly prefer uh, the, the shower. I just think it's so much more hygienic, But but in this case, I'm I think we're actually being encouraged to, to uh, soak in despair. I mean, Daniel and Nehemiah, they go into a period of prayer and fasting. Daniel puts on rough burlap. He wants to feel physically, um, tangibly in despair. He wants to, to, to identify fully with the, the pain and the suffering that the nation of Israel is going to be going through because of the 70 years of exile that has been mandated by God. Nehemiah is mourning. He is, he is acting as though somebody is dead, even though Jerusalem is far from him. Uh, the problems of Jerusalem are far from being his personal problems. These two people, Nehemiah and Daniel, they decide to sit in it, to soak in it, to feel in it, to, to feel it fully. And so that is the first step of uh, answered prayer. Uh, We pretty easily go to the last two steps because they're they're not as difficult. Uh, The last two steps uh, being uh, building our faith and then making that audacious entry into the throne room of God with our request. But... Uh, those last two are actually quite a bit uh, easier than this first one. This first one, because it's the most difficult, is the one that we skip over most of the time. And it is as a result of that that our prayers are unanswered because we have not gotten ourselves to a place where our hearts are broken in the way that God, God's heart breaks. We are just praying on the surface. We'll talk more about that at the end of the sermon, but we are not getting down deep into the depths of the problem. We are not soaking in it. We are not becoming angry with what is going on in the world around us. We are not becoming angry about how people are being Mistreated. We are not becoming angry about injustice and oppression. Uh, we are not becoming angry about the sin in our own lives and the sin in the lives of other people. So we're just blowing by step one, the most foundational part of seeing God answer our prayers. And so our prayers are unanswered. And if our prayers are unanswered, then we stop praying and God doesn't Move on our behalf and our faith is weak. Daniel chapter 9 and starting at verse 4. This second step is very difficult as well. Uh, we're almost, um, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but it's very likely if we get the first step right, then steps 2, 3, and 4 will follow in um, a natural progression. But the second step is ownership. Ownership over what is going on. And, and uh, maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, I, I thought we're supposed to get mad about what is going on in, in the world around us, what is going on outside of us, what other people are doing. What do you mean by taking ownership? Well, let's read. Uh, Daniel 9, verse 4, it says, I pray to the Lord my God and confess. Now, that seems strange right away because Daniel is one of the heroes of the faith. Daniel is the one who stands against Nebuchadnezzar and the entire Babylonian kingdom. Daniel, uh, you know, he is the mentor for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I mean, Daniel is an awesome spiritual hero, and he begins his prayer with a confession. There's no sin that we're aware of that he has committed, but he owns the sins of his nation. He owns the sins of his people. He says, oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands but we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. He claims ownership for all the sin. He's bringing it all before God and saying, we have screwed up horribly. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets, all Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. So he's saying we have sin and the consequences that have been brought upon us are completely deserved. Now, if you're a parent, you know that whenever you discipline your child, the first thing they say is, Dad, Mom, you're totally right. You're totally right. You, you told me what the family rules are, and I violated them, and you're just totally right. It was totally my fault. I, I totally messed up. No. That's not how it happens. Definitely not how it happens. And, and this certainly doesn't happen. The next thing your child says certainly isn't. And the way you're punishing me is is exactly the right way to punish me. I I deserve this punishment fully. No. No child in history ever has ever said that. Well, maybe there's a few very rare, very exceptional cases. Maybe after hearing a sermon such as this, they might say something like that to their parent. But it's not a natural thing. This is a work that God does in us. So he says, You have kept <coughs> excuse me, you have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true, yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. So Daniel takes ownership of the problem. Daniel recognizes that even he himself is part of the problem because he's part of the people who have created all of these issues. He is part of the culture that led to God's judgment and wrath and consequences and removal of grace and mercy. Nehemiah prays similarly. He says in his prayer, Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Nehemiah takes personal responsibility. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Uh, Nehemiah takes full personal ownership. Full personal ownership of not just the fact that Israel has sinned, but, but also full personal ownership of the way in which God has doled out the consequences. Um, I find that, generally speaking, uh, in my home, when whenever I uh, see one of our children, you know, violate the family rules in some way, um, and I confront them about that, uh, the, the first thing that that happens is there is a description of how the circumstances. Forced that individual into violating the rules, or was at least eighty percent responsible for uh, why there was um, the violation of a rule, or, or why a particular event happened. It was it was because of the circumstances, and uh, I found that I do the very same thing before God in my. Uh, times before him when he was confronting with sin or, or whenever somebody else confronts me with something I've done wrong, I immediately begin to um, rationalize how it was the circumstances around me that uh, almost forced me into making that poor decision or doing that, that wrong thing. And at the same time, when somebody else does something wrong against me, or when I read about an evil occurring in uh, you know, the world around me, my first reaction is to immediately judge, or jump to judging their character. I immediately jump to assessing their character without considering the circumstances at all. And so um, it is an incredibly high mark of maturity for somebody who is confronted with Sin with wrongdoing to say. That was me. And I deserve. My punishment. An incredibly high. Level. Of maturity. Nehemiah goes on to say. Goes on to the the third phase. I, I read into it a little bit. But he says please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me I will scatter. You among the nations but. And here's where we move to the third phase. And this is the phase of building your faith. This is the phase where uh, we remind ourselves of God's promises as we are praying to Him. Uh, Not as though He needs reminding, uh, but we we are presenting to Him His own promises because we we certainly cannot stand on our own actions. We can only stand on the promises of God. And so we present God's promises to him. And that is a way of building our faith, which is uh, one of the requirements for God to uh, respond to us in prayer. We have to trust fully that God will respond to him. And the only way we're going to trust fully that he's going to respond to us is not based on some good actions we've done in the past. The only way we can trust that he is going to respond to us is it is based on his word. It is based on his promise. And so we present his promises to him as our rationale for having faith in the first place and then moving into an audacious request. He says, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Isn't it awesome that all the way back in Exodus, a thousand years, more than a thousand years before Nehemiah is praying this prayer, God promised that In this very situation, in this very situation where the capital has been destroyed, where the people have been exiled to a completely different country, even in this situation, if they will simply turn to Him, then God will do this great and amazing thing on their behalf. If they will simply trust Him above all things, then He will do this extraordinary act on their behalf and He will bring them back, even if they are at the very ends of the earth. What an extraordinary thing. What an extraordinary God who makes promises such as these to do absolutely amazing things on our behalf if we will turn toward him. Daniel also does this thing of presenting God his promises as Daniel's rationale for making his audacious request So starting in verse 16, Daniel says, In view of all your faithful mercies. Right? We're we're not standing on our two legs. We're standing on God's many promises. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O Lord, hear your servant's prayer. Listen, I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. For your sake, for your glory, because of your promises, because of your mercies. Daniel is staking his presentation, not on his courageous faith in the past, and if anybody was going to stake their request on their own resume, it could, it, you know, it, it would be Daniel. Daniel is an incredible hero. I mean, he, uh, he refused to stop praying and was thrown into a lion's den as a result, and, and God came and And uh, saved him from death in the lion's den. Um, So God certainly favors Daniel. But Daniel doesn't say, God, do you remember how good I am? As a result of how good I have been in the past, I have some requests to make of you. No, that's not how Daniel makes his case. He says, in view of your great mercy, in view of all of your faithfulness mercies. Um, I have a son, Silas, who is uh, very good at reminding his mom and dad about commitments that we have made. Um, For example, if uh, we have said, you know, if you get a certain number of rebounds in a basketball game, we'll get you a blizzard. Well, after that game, we may be in a rush to run a variety of errands and, and do some things, and it's possible that we Uh, We're not able to fit in a Dairy Queen blizzard. And then life just continues on. But uh, our son Silas is very good at regularly, daily, reminding us that we owe him a blizzard. We owe him a blizzard. and Sometimes this might go on for weeks. And at the uh, most random and inopportune time, Silas will bring up the fact that we owe him a blizzard. Well, eventually we get Silas his blizzard because we are attempting to be faithful parents. Um, That's just a, uh, you know, a, a fun thing to think about for me as I think about presenting God's promises as the foundation for our case to move boldly into God's throne room and bring our audacious request. And so... Uh, let's look at Nehemiah's uh, audacious request. Uh, in verse 10, Nehemiah 1 and verse 10, it says, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. You see, Nehemiah's plan is to uh, make an incredible request of his king. He is going to do this uh, audacious, incredibly bold ask of his king. And he knows in order to get his king's attention, um, he will need to, to be distraught. He will need to be uh, You know, visibly out of sorts, so that the king will ask him what he uh, what is bothering him, what he wants. Now, uh, he's taking an incredible risk by uh, being out of out of sorts uh, visibly in the king's presence, Uh, because we're talking about a king here who who literally uh, you know only needs to snap his fingers. And he can order the execution of anybody in the kingdom. He has an absolute monopoly on power. And so if he doesn't like your demeanor and he's prescribed that uh, you should be happy and positive and and, uh, in a good demeanor around him and you show up and that's not the case, you're, you're this far away from being executed. And so Nehemiah knows that he needs God to do a work in the king's heart so that when he sees Nehemiah distraught, instead of ordering his execution, he asked Nehemiah what the issue is with a kind heart towards Nehemiah, um, with a predisposition to uh, honor the request that Nehemiah is about to make. And uh, if you read uh, the rest of the story, I'll, 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 uh, you know, spoil it for you. Uh, To some degree, uh, the king does honor his request and he honors his request in this extraordinary way beyond the expectations of Nehemiah. And so uh, God answers Nehemiah's prayer in this uh, incredibly powerful way because Nehemiah has been in deep despair over the things that God is in deep despair over. Nehemiah has confessed, he has taken taken uh, complete ownership over his own sins, over the sins of his people. And he has brought his case based on um, God's promises. He has built up his faith and he has made this audacious ask of God and God moves in this incredible way on his behalf. Daniel, at the conclusion of his prayer, Chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, Daniel says, Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. And uh, if you read the rest of the story of Daniel, you'll see the angel Gabriel comes to him and gives him this vision, uh, not just reminding him that that uh, God will fulfill his promise to return the people of Israel to Jerusalem. But he uh, tells Daniel about what is going to happen even further in the future, and gives Daniel uh, all of these incredible kingdoms, or excuse me, visions about how certain kingdoms will come and go. But there will be a time when uh, God will raise up a, a, an eternal King, the Anointed One in Israel, uh, to to raise up and to lead a kingdom that will last. Forever, so uh, he he reassures Daniel. He answers Daniel's prayer in this absolutely extraordinary way, because Daniel soaked in despair. He didn't just continue in his comfort and convenience, ignoring the problems around him. But he soaked in despair. He got discouraged and depressed about what was going on, and he he went deep into it. He put on burlap so that he could physically. Feel the despair. And so, uh, as Daniel and Nehemiah have gone through this process, uh, we see God work in amazing, amazing ways. I'm going to skip forward to the book of James, where James uh, corrects the early church um, around this area of prayer. And uh, in chapter 4, uh, verses 2 and 3, he writes this about prayer. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. He's talking generally. There hasn't been a murder within the church that we know of. uh, So he's talking generally. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. So he's just talking about generally in the world, people tend not to trust God for uh, the things that will bring Uh, pleasure to them, but they tend to uh, maneuver themselves in a manipulative way, uh, sometimes in a violent way, to get what they want. Uh, They try to seize, you know, humankind tries to seize control of the process whereby they are blessed, whereby they are provided for. They try to seize control of that and uh, gain power over it themselves. So he goes on to write, but you can't, oh, sorry, I read that part already. It says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want, or you want only what will give you pleasure. You want only what will give you pleasure. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, It certainly sounds familiar to me as a description often of my life, end of my prayer life. I try to seize control of the process uh, by which I am provided for, by by which I am um, entertained, and, and so forth. And so uh, James is encouraging the church to move from manipulation, trying to manipulate uh, ways for us to get things into a place of trust, trusting God to uh, bring to us the things that we need and the things that will ultimately benefit us in the best possible way. And he's also uh, trying to get us to move out of just seeking pleasure with our prayers, like, hey, hey, God, uh, these are the things that would be really convenient for me if they happened. And here's my list, here's my wish list of things that I would like to go my way. What can you do about it? Uh, moving from that to, so uh, moving from praying for pleasure to praying about the plight of other people. Uh, because this is the heart of God, right? He is concerned not about himself, he is concerned about us. And he calls us to move away from praying for pleasure to into praying uh, about the plight of other people. Uh, to pray others oriented prayers, now this is not to say that we cannot ever bring uh, our own personal request, but our own personal requests uh, ought to be centered uh, around others, so it is okay to bring a personal request before God so long as in somewhere in that picture others are being benefited because as Christians, we are called to live for others, not for ourselves. We're called to die, for, die to ourselves, to find our lives by losing it. And so our prayers ought to reflect this. Uh, we need to be praying uh, for the plight of others, interceding on other people's behalf. So if we are broken before God, if we have claimed ownership over all of the sin in our lives if we base our request on the foundation of God's promises, and if our request is about the plight of others, and it is for the glory of God, then God will answer our prayers. God will move on our behalf. God will do extraordinary things in our lives. If our prayer is, Father, give me strength overcome this sin and uh, our motivation for that is so that we can benefit the people around us so that we can be effective and fruitful for the benefit of others then God will answer that prayer. He says he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in us but if we want God to deal with sin in our lives so that we can grow in spiritual pride so that we can look better to the people around us for our own sake, then God is not likely to answer that prayer. Because God sees our hearts, he knows what our motives are, and he knows whether or not we are truly in despair, whether or not we are truly confessing, whether or not we truly trust in his promises. He knows where we're at in all of these things. And so, if we want to see God move in extraordinary ways, these are the phases, these are the steps that we have to move through. Uh, We must get ourselves to a place of despair. We have to take ownership over what is going on. We have to build our faith. Uh, We have to build our faith to a place where we are confident to walk into the throne room of God and make an audacious request, fully trusting that He is for us. So, this is what I would encourage uh, all of us to do, is uh, for the next uh, four Sundays, uh, we are going to be talking about prayer uh, from different angles. The, The ultimate goal is to Uh, help you and I hopefully motivate you and I to become people of prayer Uh, to understand that uh, it is God's desire it is his heart to answer our prayers he wants that kind of a relationship with us where we are joining in partnership with him where we are joining in the process of transforming this world through prayer and so uh what I would love for each of us to do is uh for a few minutes each day for the next 40 days uh, for us to uh, get away from our family, get away from our roommates, get away from our siblings or whatever the case might be and just ask God to break our heart as his heart breaks. And uh, I I believe that that's going to manifest itself in a variety of different ways because uh, we have um, people who are who have different personalities and people who are gifted in different ways, people uh, who God wants to break in different ways about different issues, maybe in their own personal lives and, and maybe in terms of, of uh, things in our culture. But uh, to just simply ask God to, to break our hearts, to um, soften our hearts uh, in the way that he would want to do it, that he would break our heart uh, as his heart is broken. Uh, you know, for our nation, for our city, uh, for our culture, uh, for the entertainment industry, for uh, homeless people in this city. We can keep going down the list. Um, maybe maybe instead of just uh, ig- ignoring the, the George Lloyd uh, story that's been in the news uh, the last couple of weeks, um, maybe uh, God wants you to dive into that and uh, be broken over uh, injustice in our country, and, and uh, maybe God wants you to, to soak in that, not just read it as another news story, but to dive deeply into that, to soak into that, so that you can pray and intercede as he, was, as he would have you intercede uh, on the behalf of those who experience injustice in our country. Let's pray together. Father, we ask uh, that you would do this thing in us, uh, that you would help us be broken, that you would bring us to a place of despair uh, over the issues that you despair about. Uh, Father, uh, we desire to be people of prayer, to be um, in this righteous relationship, uh, this righteous partnership uh, with you to transform the world around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well thank you guys. Uh, We'll see you next week uh, either in person, uh, here at the church or uh, online next week. Thanks guys, have a a wonderful week and uh, hang out with us uh, for uh, a moment of worship. Uh, Hopefully uh, this will just be a time for you to uh, think about uh, all that uh, we've talked about and uh, just lock it into your own heart and mind as you worship. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, AwakenAlaska.com and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.